Good morning again. Our sermon text for this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Please turn with me if you would in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm actually going to go ahead and read verses 3 through 7. Just have a little bit of the context. Uh, but before I do that, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that you haven't uh, left us to ourselves. You haven't uh, abandoned us just to, to figure out life on our own, but you've given us your word. You've given us the scriptures that we might know you, that we might know uh, your son and the redemption that we have in the cross, that we might know forgiveness, that we might know your grace and your mercy, uh, which are new every morning. Uh, that we might know the power of your spirit and uh, how to live in a way that honors you. And Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would teach us from your word, that you would guide us, uh, that you would give me the words to say, that you would give each of us hearts to receive what is true and, and discerning hearts that can toss what is not true to the side and, and cling to what is true with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Our Father, bless our time together. Uh, brought your spirit on us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read through verses 3 through 7. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. last words are scary words to then begin to teach off of. <laughs> Should have ended the verse before or something, right? That would have made it easier. Do you ever feel like you have to between truth and love? Well, it's a new year, right? And the new year is uh, always a time for, for resolutions. I don't know whether you make resolutions or not, but, but many people do. And so I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, if you had the choice over the next year, would you uh, be, choose to be either 100% doctrinally sound or 100% relationally loving? Which would you choose, truth or love? Now, now, for some of you, maybe that's a really easy question. You say, well, I'd, I'd be loving. I mean, the two great commandments, right, are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, so I'd be loving. And maybe you wonder, you know, why are so many Christians so worried about doctrine? I mean, it seems so unimportant, most of it. Right? I mean, this world is dying and starving and languishing, and we're arguing about what often seems like obscure or uh, irrelevant theological matters. What's the big deal? Or maybe you think, no, no, uh, truth is important, right? If, if we don't have truth, we're living a lie. I mean, Jesus said that we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Clearly, he thought truth was important, right? We need truth. 
So what do you think? Truth or love? And oftentimes it does seem like uh, a real choice, or it at least seems like some people have made the choice, right? Uh, you know, most of us know people who are, who are real doctrine people. They're, they're concerned about truth. Uh, they, they're quick to correct others. Uh, maybe they're, they're the, sort of the self-appointed theology. And, and you normally feel maybe a bit nervous around them because you're just waiting to say something wrong because you know uh, that when you do, they're going to throw the book at you. And yet, if you have a question, they generally have an answer, which is kind of nice, because they've thought about these things. But then, on the other side, there are those really nice people. Right? You, you love being around them, because you, you know, they make you feel good. Of course, they would never tell anyone that they're wrong. They would never disagree. Uh, they would never cross you in any way. They would never cross anybody. They, they don't have a firm position on anything, because they don't want to insult anyone. Ever. Well, you may or may not be surprised to hear that, that I think that both those sort of doctrinal bulldogs, uh, those doctrinal bulldogs are, are no more sound in their doctrine uh, than those sort of warm, fuzzy folks are loving. See, anytime we make an absolute choice between truth and love, we actually lose both. In fact, our text this morning is going to tell us that gospel truth engenders love. That the truth of the gospel should make us more loving, not less. Again, it, it's a new year, right? A new year is always about a new start. It's time to kind of rethink the past year, to plan for the year to come. And over the next five weeks, uh, we're still taking a break from Galatians. So if you thought we were going to jump back in, I'm sorry. We're still taking a break from the book of Galatians. Over the next five weeks, we're going to think about, really about the basics of the Christian life. Three things that are really important, uh, central to our life as a church, central to who we are, and who we want to be. Uh, those three things are, are the story of grace, the human heart, and the call to love. And uh, I, I've been talking about these three for some time, but I wanted to take time to talk about them as a whole church family together, because I think they're that important. So this week, we're actually... Kind of going to have an overview of that from 1 Timothy 1.5, which touches on all three of these. Uh, you can see your outline in the back of the bulletin. Uh, the outline is three points that really are one sentence, right? three parts of one sentence. Gospel doctrine promotes love from the inside out. First gospel. The, the letter of 1 Timothy was written by Paul uh, to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of sorts in Ephesus. And there were some folks uh, in Ephesus, possibly leaders, even elders in the church, who had begun to teach some things that were contrary to the gospel. And Paul is instructing Timothy what to do about it. And so in, in verse 3, Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Uh, now, different doctrine assumes that there is some, some core of teaching, some, uh, some doctrine, some teaching that is central to Christianity. You know, different means different from something. And when Paul talks about different doctrine, he means different from the, the sound doctrine that he mentions in verse 10. Or different from the gospel that he mentions in verse 11. 
See, there's this set of teaching that is central to the Christian life, which we can really summarize as Paul does in verse 11, that as that teaching which is in accordance with the gospel. But some of the leaders in this church had begun to teach something else. And verse 4 spells that out a little more for us. Verse 4, uh, Paul's charging Timothy, not, or telling Timothy to not teach, to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. See, some some uh, at Ephesus had begun to teach things that were out of accord with the gospel. Endless myths and genealogies. And Paul calls these elsewhere Jewish myths. Uh, verse 7, Paul says these men want to be teachers of the law, meaning the law of Moses. So it seems that, that some people in the church were, were reading the genealogies of Scripture even, maybe, maybe even of Genesis, for example. They were building myths around the people uh, that they found there. Uh, of course, there's lots of room for that if you've ever read the genealogies. There are people that you know nothing about, right? So uh, you can sort of run off in all kinds of fanciful directions with that. And the result uh, was to promote speculation, right? Verse 6 calls it vain discussion. So the picture is of these teachers sitting around speculating, creating maybe whole theologies out of their speculations, speculating uh, speculations which only lead to vain or silly discussions. It's really not hard to imagine, is it? People sitting around reading uh, their Bibles, speculating on things that are unclear, uh, filling in gaps that God didn't think it was important to fill in. Uh, and that kind of teaching leads to what? Well, more speculation. Paul says empty chatter, mere talk. It doesn't go anywhere. And Paul says this teaching leads to speculation rather than to according to verse 4. And Paul's talking to Timothy, a pastor, about fellow leaders, fellow teachers, fellow pastors. And in multiple times in Scripture, Paul talks about leaders in the church as stewards. Stewards, householders, uh, people who have a responsibility to care for God's house, the church. But these leaders were failing. Rather than teaching the sound doctrine of the gospel, they taught myths which uh, led to speculations and empty talk. Then you get to the beginning of verse 5, and in the beginning of verse 5, there's a word there that can be left untranslated, and often is. It is in the ESV. Uh, but in the NAS, it's translated, helpfully, uh, the, the, at the beginning of verse 5, this word, but. See, there are teachers teaching a different doctrine, which leads to just endless chatter. Uh, but, verse 5, verse 5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Paul says the aim of our charge. What charge is he talking about? It could be God's charge to, to Paul. It could be Paul's charge to Timothy. It could be their charge to the church. Either way, essentially, it ends up being the same thing. It's, it's the gospel. They are charged to preach the gospel. The church is charged to believe in and, and live in light of the gospel. Well, what is that? What is that gospel that, that Paul is charged to preach? Well, the gospel means, gospel means good news. And the gospel is about God's grace. Um, in verses 12 through 16, Paul sees his own salvation as an example of God's grace. And in, in those verses, Paul sums up the gospel like this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's the good news of God's grace, right? Jesus 
the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed one. He did something. He came into this world. He's God in all of eternity, but he came into this world. He took on human skin. He, he became a baby. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died for sins which he did not commit. Why did he do all that? Paul says to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, why is it so important to keep that gospel, to keep that message, to keep that doctrine before? Why is it so important that Paul has Timothy make sure that, that the teachers in Ephesus only teach the gospel and not any different doctrine? Is Paul just one of those nitpicky people and he wants to make sure all the details are right? He wants to feel good by, by being right and being in the right. No, and yet Paul is concerned with the truth, isn't he? And there are two things about this gospel that, that are so important to Paul. One is that this truth, this, this gospel, is from God. Paul says in verse 11 that he has been entrusted with the gospel. God entrusted the gospel to Paul, so Paul will do everything in his power to make sure that that gospel is kept pure. It's not, it's not his teaching, it's God's teaching, right? This is not uh, about human teaching, which changes over time. Uh, where each successive generation right, seeks to improve what came before. Now, we're not called to improve the gospel as if it could be, but we're called to steward it. And now Paul, as an apostle, of course, received that straight from God. He received revelation directly from the Father. He was inspired, meaning that the Holy Spirit spoke directly to him and through him in, in a way that, uh, in an infallible way. We're not apostles. Right? Uh, we, we haven't seen the risen Lord Jesus uh, the Spirit doesn't speak to us in quite the same way that he did to Paul. That doesn't mean that we're lost, though. I mean, first of all, we still have the, the, the same Bible that Jesus and Paul had, the Old Testament. And we have the New Testament, right? We, we have the writings of the apostles and their, their band of merry men, so to speak. So we have the apostolic revelation entrusted to Paul and then recorded in Scripture for us and for all time. Well, why is Paul so concerned that, that uh, the Ephesian teachers get the gospel right? Why should we be so concerned about scriptural teaching on the gospel? Well, first of all, because it's from God. Uh, that alone makes it important. But second, this gospel uh, goes somewhere. Gospel doctrine goes somewhere, right? I mean, uh, the, the empty talk and the silly myths of the, the leaders in Ephesus, those produced nothing but more empty talk. The consequence of their false teaching was, was just meaningless chatter. But the gospel, we will see in a moment, promotes love. Now, now Paul is not a pragmatist, right? He, he preaches the gospel because it's the gospel that he received from the Father. That the risen Lord Jesus gave him on the road to uh, Damascus. But this gospel also happens to be life-changing. So Paul wants church leaders, right, to teach sound doctrine, to teach the gospel truth. Not a different doctrine, not speculation, not whatever we think is a good idea, but sound doctrine entrusted to us by God through his spirit. Now one implication of this for you is that I need you to be praying for me. In fact, we, the elders here at All Souls, David, Scott, and myself, right, we need you to be praying for us. Pray for us. Put that down on your resolution, your New Year's resolution for this year, right? Pray for Luke. He needs it. Uh, pray that we would know the gospel truth deeply. 
pray that, that we would uh, know it so well and that it would affect us, that it would change us, and so that we can teach it in a way that it, that it deeply affects our church, which really begins to move us to the next point, doesn't it, right? That, that this gospel promotes love. Paul says the aim of our charge is love. And uh, on the one hand, again, this is particularly for, for the elders. The elders are those who, if they fulfill their role to teach sound doctrine and steward the church, produce love. Our goal, that's our goal as we teach. That's our goal as we preach, as we shepherd, as we steward. But since we know what Paul's charge has to do with, it has to do with doctrine or communicating the gospel, we, we could really say this about any time anyone speaks gospel truth. Right? So the aim of gospel teaching is love. Right? Doctrinal knowledge is not an end in itself. Uh, the aim of our evangelism is love. Conversion is not an end in itself. The aim of our counseling is love. Uh, emotional health is not an end in itself. Uh, the aim of our rebuke, right? Paul's calling Timothy to rebuke certain people in the church. The aim of our rebuke is love. Being right should never be an end in itself. Doctrinal knowledge, conversion, uh, emotional health, being right, these are all means to the greater end of love in Christ's church. Why is this the greater end? Well, because our calling as human beings is love. It's not just our calling as Christians even, that's true, but, but our calling as human beings. This is what God created us for. It, it shouldn't be idiosyncr uh, idiosyncratic to Christian people. It shouldn't be unique to us. It's the calling of humanity. And yet it's been distorted, hasn't it, by the fall. You know, we watch the news, and day by day, things happen. Uh, the world is not filled with love. Uh, love is not the first word that we would use to characterize humanity. So Paul's teaching is that the gospel is restorative. Right? It, it's meant to restore people into the image of God, to restore humanity to what God originally intended us to be. Lovers of God and lovers of our people. When Jesus summarized the, the 613 commandments of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, he does that in two commandments. To love God and love your neighbor. This is the calling of the church. Right? We're, we're meant to be reformed and refashioned into that for which we were, were created. Refashioned into the image of God. And God is love. So we should be a people characterized by love. Remember that verse we read earlier in John where Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're to be a people uniquely characterized by love. Now, I, as I say that, I realize how often I personally fail in that. I fail at that with Deborah. I fail at that with my boys. I fail at that with my neighbors. I fail at that with the church. But Paul doesn't say, thankfully, he doesn't say, maybe I wish he did, but he doesn't say uh, that we're going to do this right away. Right? That if you're a Christian, bam, right, you're going to be zapped and instantly you're going to love the way God calls you to do. No, he says this is the theme of the gospel. Right? Our, our goal is to love God and neighbor well. 
One of the reasons we gather in the church is to help one another in that calling. We can't do it alone. We need one another. We need help. Now, in our day, I think we have a problem when we come to the word love. Uh, because we think about love as, as sort of merely a gushy feeling. Uh, we, we, if anything, though, the, the opposite is true in Scripture. Love is an action. Right? Love is something you do. I'm not saying love's not a feeling, right? but when Scripture talks about love, most of the time it's talking about an action. 1 John 3.16 By this we know that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's the standard. That's the measure of love. Love is not merely something you feel. Uh, Paul is not saying the aim of our charge is that you will feel a certain way. It's not mushy feelings. It's not, it's not falling in love the way we think of it, right? The aim of our gospel is, is action. It's a direction of our lives. Love for God and love for neighbor. It's seeking the glory of God and the good of those around us. And love doesn't just happen, though. Typically, we don't just accidentally fall into love. I mean, we more naturally serve ourselves, right? We serve our own interests. Uh, we seek our own glory and our own good. We more naturally sit around speculating about obscure doctrinal issues without any meaningful effect. But Paul insists the aim of our charge, the aim of our teaching, the aim of our doctrine, the goal of understanding theology is love. This is one of the reasons we gather each week, again, so we can be changed by the gospel, so that we can learn to love as we look at Jesus, who loved us well doesn't mean each Sunday I'm, I'm going to give you five easy steps to love God and your neighbor. Uh, we come to hear the gospel, right? We come to hear the truth from God. And that gospel truth moves us and molds us into the image of Jesus. Now, you may have been in churches uh, with Christians, or maybe you even think this about yourself. You may think, uh, well, I've been going to church a long time. I've heard a lot of sermons. Uh, but I don't feel much more loving than when I started. <laughs> What's the problem? I mean, if the goal of gospel teaching is love, why is it that there are so many people who know the gospel but aren't loving? <laughs> it's a good question. Which brings us to our next point, which is that gospel doctrine promotes love from the inside out. Again, our verse, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul doesn't simply say that the goal of our teaching is love. Uh, love is not all there is in this sentence. Uh, love is an action, but the action is not the only thing that is important. Um, the gospel does not only produce something outward, but something inward as well. The gospel produces love that issues from somewhere, from a certain kind of heart, a certain kind of soul, a certain kind of inner being. Paul says our goal is to see love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I don't think he's trying to be complete there, but he's just giving three big things, three important things that are going on inside of us that issue forth in love. First, he talks about a pure or a cleansed heart. 
It may be obvious, right? But when our hearts are set on sinful desires, love is hindered. Psalm 141 verse 4 says, uh, Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds. Right? If, if my heart is inclined to evil, then, then I'm busy with wicked deeds, which means love gets set to the side. Or to put it differently, right? when I love sin or when I love uh, this world, when I have an inordinate uh, that is an out-of-control love for created things or an out-of-control love for myself, Love for others gets pushed to the side. Our hearts must be cleansed of other loves if we're to love God and neighbor rightly. Love must issue from a pure, that is a purified heart. Now, Paul's not looking for a heart without sin, right? He's not talking about perfection, or we would, this would never ever characterize us. But he's talking about a heart that is continually cleansed by grace. How does that happen? Uh, not simply as we hear the gospel. It does involve hearing the gospel, but it's not simply as we hear the gospel, but as we hear the gospel and respond to it. Our hearts, Peter says, are purified uh, in 1 Peter 1.22 as we obey the truth. In the context, he means as we hear it and as we believe what God has said. By faith in the gospel, our hearts are cleansed and made new. This is why one might hear the gospel for decades and still remain just as much as a jerk as he was at the beginning. Because you can hear it and be dead to it, not respond to it, not receive it, not believe it. See, there's, a, there's a battle for right desires going on in our heart. We're going to see this later in Galatians when we get there, which we will, uh, Lord willing. Uh, Galatians, Paul refers to it as a battle between uh, the flesh and the spirit. There's a battle for right desires going on in our heart. As we hear of God's grace in Christ, and as we respond by repenting, by acknowledging, by confessing our sinful desires, and then resting in Christ's love seen in the cross. That's how the gospel takes root. And cleanses our heart by faith, right? As we confess our selfishness and see Jesus' unselfishness in the cross, we are free from selfish desires. As we confess how unloving we have been and take in Christ's love for us in his death and resurrection, we become more loving. It's not a one-time thing, of course. It's a continual, daily disassociating ourselves from sin, sinful desires. The, the corruptness of our hearts through repentance and then drawing near to Jesus and his love in faith so that he might cleanse our hearts from those sinful desires and fill us with his love. Well, how is your heart? When, when you look inside, what desires do you find? Can you at least begin to acknowledge that there's a mixed mess in there? That, it, that it's not all that it should be. God's love must be poured into our hearts by the Spirit. That's a, a great metaphor Paul uses at one point. God's love must be poured into our hearts by His Spirit. The love of the Father in sending His Son. right? The love of the Son in bearing our sin on the cross. Suffering in our place. And only as that love of God, the love of God, who, God who was willing to go that far for us, only as that love grips our heart 
Only as that happens will our hearts become not a fountain of selfishness, but a fountain of love. The heart cleansed by the gospel is the source of love. Uh, the good conscience then guides us in that. And Paul says love must flow from a good conscience. Uh, your conscience is uh, your innate sense of right and wrong. Well, what is a good conscience then? Uh, well, think about the, the reverse, right? A bad conscience could be actually one of two things. It could be a guilty conscience, or it could be a, a broken conscience, a conscience that, that isn't working the way it's supposed to anymore. See, when, when we disobey, our conscience convicts us of guilt. That's the job of conscience. And so a, a good conscience is the opposite of a guilty conscience, right? One that is free from guilt. And yet when we repeatedly disobey, we train ourselves to ignore our consciences. And in one sense, our conscience may still work fine, but we no longer know. So a conscience that is guilty or ignored cannot produce love, Paul is saying. When we consistently ignore our conscience, we don't know what the loving thing is anymore. It's not that conscience doesn't tell us right and wrong, but that we no longer distinguish the sound of its voice from the noise of our own desires. So our conscience no longer guides us. When we live under a guilty conscience, we try to hide, right? We try to protect ourselves. We don't want anyone to see our guilt. But a conscience that knows grace deeply is free to worry about others, free to love, because I'm not busy trying to, trying to guard myself, trying to protect myself. Again, how do we get there, right? Well, by, by hearing and responding to the gospel. Only the blood of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, can cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve God. Of course, we, we hear, but we can hear uh, of God's grace a million times, uh, but it is as we confess, as we respond to that grace in the gospel, as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John tells us in 1 John. So if you're, if you're weighed down with guilt, if you're constantly trying to cover up your sin, constantly trying to prove yourself or protect your heart, what we actually need to do is just the opposite. We need to expose ourselves. Expose our sin. Confess it. Sin dies in the light. And then we rest in the one who bore all of our guilt. Well, that brings us to that, that third internal source of love. Sincere faith, Paul says. If a purified heart is the fountain of love, if a good conscience guides us as we love, then faith in Christ strengthens us in that endeavor. You know, it's, it's really easy to start out well and give up quickly. It's true. That's true with anything, right? We, we go into some endeavor, some difficult task, and we start out strong. If it's a new year, right? You make all these resolutions. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do the other thing. And for the first day, it's great. Maybe for the first week, if you're you know, a strong person. Maybe for the first month, if you really have you know, this great moral character. But then you know, February comes, and all bets are off, right? Um, it's easy to start out well and give up quickly. Which is why we must repent of self-reliance. Because self-reliance won't get us anywhere. Um, we must trust in Christ for strength to love. When Paul talks about sincere faith here, faith can mean sort of that initial faith when you first believe in Jesus and trust him, uh, in his saving power. 
But it can also mean just that day-by-day trust in him, trust in his strength, resting in his power and in not your own. Love is hard work. In fact, sometimes love feels like death. And if we're going to love well, we need to know the one who loved us to death first. Love is self-sacrifice. That's what it is. It's giving of yourself for the good of another. But it's through sacrifice that resurrection power comes. So only as we see this at work in the gospel will we be willing to step out in faith and love as we have been loved. See, we we must renounce all self-reliance. Renounce the idea that there's any good in us. Renounce the idea that we can do any good in our own strength. And cling to Jesus who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as we've talked about these three things, right, gospel doctrine, which produces love from the inside out, you may have noticed already that that these three big points correspond.